We're continuing our story in John chapter 6 today. Looking at a very famous passage, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And just as a disclaimer, uh, when it says Jesus fed the 5,000, it was talking about 5,000 men. But also included were their wives and their children. And so, quite honestly, it could have been two, three, four times the number of 5,000. So, not only was feeding 5,000 people a miracle, but just think of it being 20, 25,000 mouths looking at you. I can remember a time when uh, I was a student pastor and uh, we had taken the kids camping. And we showed up to the site and the group that had gone on before us had not done what they said they would do and set up camp. Instead, they decided to drink Red Bulls and throw axes at trees. Uh, so we got there, and it started raining, and there were no tents up, and all those kids are looking at me wondering, what in the world are we going to do? That's probably one of the most helpless feelings I ever remember in my life, because I knew that everybody was depending on me to make a decision, and I didn't know what to do. So luckily, we uh, I prayed, we got our wits together, and the camping trip was a success, but... When you have people that are, are depending upon you, if you're a, a father, a teacher, or a provider, or a leader to someone, you know the stress of people looking to you for the answer, when sometimes you don't even know the answer, but you've got to fake it till you make it, right? Well, we see in here today that we have an incorrect view of God sometimes because for some reason we think that when we have a problem we have to handle it on our own. Some of you have walked in here today and even I at times have walked around with the load of the world on my shoulders and it's not because God's called us to carry it, it's because we choose to carry it. So my question to you is what load are you carrying today? What is that thing in the back of your mind that every time I mention this you're like, oh, I don't want to think about that. Well, you know, it's okay because we are hardwired because we are sinful people to want to handle things without God. And we see here today that that is not what God has called us to do. A friend gave me a book a couple months ago to read called uh, by Warren Wearsby. Uh, I use his quotes a lot, his commentaries a lot. He wrote a book called, the title of it, on being a servant of God. And uh, it had been sitting on my desk for a while, so I thought while I was on vacation I could pick up a, a book or two and, and start reading it. And I started reading this book, and for some reason it led me to this passage. I knew it was coming up because when you preach through a book, you, you kind of get an idea of what's what's ahead. And this passage came up. And here's what he said, and I'll talk about it more in a minute. But he says this statement. God called us to be distributors, not manufacturers. God called us to be distributors, not manufacturers. And my friends, let me tell you what. This thought set me free. This thought blew my mind. And I hope that in some way I can share it with you in these next few minutes. Well, the first thing we need to realize is that God alone has all the resources to meet our human needs. Not some of them, not only the Christian ones or the godly ones, but every need that we have, 
He has the resources to meet it. And that every need God has created in us, He has already met. There is nothing within you that is of God that He is not ready and willing and able to provide for you. Now, now let me give the caveat here. The word is need, not want. The word is not desire or would like. But everything that you need, God has provided for you. So, if we take that thought to the first degree, the, what we realize is we own nothing. We own nothing. We created nothing. We possess nothing. And when we start to look at our lives through these glasses of that we own nothing, we possess nothing, that everything we have is what God has provided, there is something amazing that happens. If all that I have is God's, if all that I have is God's, then that means He is free to give and take away as He sees fit. Because He created me. He loves me. And He has been, always had my best interest at heart. This is a hard concept to grasp because I'm not just talking about our wallets here. That everything that we have, every relationship that we have, our health, our career, our education, all of these things that we have. Yes, there many of you in here have worked very hard to get what you have. But I'm telling you what, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and as a believer that God created everything, I understand that everything that passes through my hand, that I have in my house, and that I have in my circle belongs to Him, and I have it because of His good graces. And if we get to that point, and I, I'm not always there, but I have to be reminded of it often. But He is free to give and take away as He sees fit. That goes for our money. That goes for our family members. That goes for our health. That goes for our jobs. That goes for our 401ks or our, our nest eggs that we're saving. All of these things are free for God to give and take away. And if we can grasp that thought, there's something that amazing happens. Let me show you. If we can grasp that thought, that if we view everything as God's, it prevents those things we own from owning us. If we view every, viewing everything as God's prevents those things that we own from owning us. My friend, it's not a sin to have a boat in your yard. It's not a sin to have a nice vehicle. It's not a sin to have a bad vehicle. It's not a sin to have no vehicle at all. It's not a sin to have a big house, a little house. You have what, what you have because of God's grace, right? But here's the thing. When it talks about the love of money is the root of all evil, that's not just for people that have a lot of money. There are people that love so money, money so much that they will neglect their kids. They will neglect their family. They won't pay bills all because they want to get what they want and fill their own cravings and desires. Folks, don't let the things you own own you. Think about it. Mortgage payments, car payments, daycare, work schedule, sickness, health insurance premiums, inflation. What am I going to eat? 
What else do I need to make me happy? And it goes on and on and on. All of these things is what we call life. We need food, right? We need food to survive. We need clothing because we don't want to be seen without clothing. And we need shelter. We need some way to to get out of the elements. And God created us to have a work ethic. Did you know that? That God created us to have a work ethic. How do I know that? If you go back to the first of Genesis, God created Adam and he gave Adam a job. To tend the garden. Not to lay out in his recliner in the garden and just enjoy everything. Look, I've got a job, I've got a purpose, and I'm going to give you everything that you need. Until sin came in and said, whatever God has given, it's not enough. That was a temptation. But if God has given us all that we need, why do we still have problems? How can you have everything you have ever wanted and still be unfulfilled? Why does it hurt so much when you feel like all you're doing is doing what God asks, but there are still problems and big problems? Here's the thing, folks. What we're going to see today is that problems present opportunities for God to prove himself. Problems provide opportunities for God to prove himself to you and to the world. It's kind of like the until when scenario. Kind of like a construction worker building a tall building does not really notice his harness is not attached to the building that he's working on and he loses his balance. Then he knows that there's a problem. Or a new parent doesn't notice a baby monitor not working until they realize the worst. Or a pet owner doesn't appreciate a leash until their pet tries to dart away from him. Or problems in crisis, they grab our attention when, when we don't even, we're not even prepared for it. And what do they do? They test our faith. And they cause us to ask and look outside of ourselves for help. Let me tell you something. You are wrestling with something that you cannot win on your own. God doesn't put out more on you than you can bear. Baloney. God always puts more on us that we can bear. So we will depend on Him. Take my yoke. For it is easy. And it is light. Cast all your cares upon me. Well the problems that you face today. And tomorrow will be opportunities for God. To prove Himself to you. And to prove yourself to Him. Let's look at our passage. The first thing that we see here. Is that. Jesus presents problems when he already knows the solutions. Jesus presents problems when he already knows the solutions. Let's read verses 1 through 6. It says, After this, Jesus crossed over the far side of the Sea of Galilee, known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him because it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread 
to feed all these people. There's the problem. Well, actually, there's not the problem. There's the question. And he was testing Philip. Check this out. For he already knew what he was going to do. (coughs) Isn't that crazy? At the middle of everything that we're going through, at the middle of our lives, whether it be good or bad, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. This is the test. It's not for him, but it's for us. Jesus took the disciples to the, to the test. We see Jesus has with, is withdrawing from the crowd with the disciples to have that downtime with his disciples. Let me tell you something, folks. It's important to have downtime with Jesus. It's important to recharge your batteries. If you constantly serve God and constantly pour out without never seeking Him and spending downtime with Him, you will pour out till you burn out. You will pour out till you burn out. That is why Jesus is trying to flee from all of these people to get the disciples to have some downtime with them. Our problem test, or excuse me, our problems test our motivation for following Jesus. In this passage we just read, we see three types of people. We see, number one, the disciples. Number two, the critics. And number three, the consumers. The disciples. When it says the disciples, there were probably more than just the twelve there. Sometimes when the Bible says disciples, it's any of those people that are following Jesus that are true disciples of him. But there were plenty of critics. Those people that were only following Jesus to build their case against them. Critics nowadays, they make their marks by reviewing places. Like if you're going out to eat, some of you might look in the magazine or Facebook or the internet and see what kind of reviews they have. Have you ever gone to thinking about seeing a movie and you say, well, I'm going to go check the critics' reviews and the critics, they just tear it up. And then you go and you look at the normal people reviews and they love it. I have found normally if there's a movie that the critics hate, I love and vice versa. Sometimes critics, they're paid to be critical. And there were people that were critical of Jesus, that were following him. Folks, anyone who sets themselves as a critic against God is setting or seeking to make a God of themselves. This is wrong. And it is a sin. And then we have the consumers. What do you mean, the consumers? To many Christians, Christianity has become a service, a brand. Much like you would go to Starbucks, or you would be Apple, or Android, or you would be McDonald's, or Burger King, Levi's, or Wrangler, or whatever. These different brands. And and it has ruined America because no longer are people serving God for what they can do for God, but they're serving God and they're coming to church so what they can get out of it. It's wrong. And these people, don't worry if you're like that. I've been like that too. Okay? But we see here in this passage, look at the number of people that were following him. And what did the verse say was the reason for them following him? Because of what he did. Because of what they could get out of it. Dear believer, there will be times when Jesus takes you offline from your regular routine. 
for the specific purpose of strengthening you and preparing you for the test to come. If you are a non-believer, I want you to understand, you can follow Jesus. You can question Jesus. And you can appreciate His works. But you will not know the true passion of His love until you accept Him as your Savior and Lord. Love brings the value of this lesson. It says in the second half of verse 6, He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Why did he, of all the disciples, why did he pick on Philip? Well, number one, Philip needed it, I guess. But of all the disciples, did you know that Philip was from Bethsaida, which was about 10 miles away from where they were at? So with that, if he was a local boy, what would have Philip have known? He would have had a friend of a friend, right? He would have known who to, to get in touch with. He would have had a contact. He would have certainly known somebody to get him at least a little bit of food. Philip would have known the area and the resources. And Philip would have, have to realize that Jesus just gave him a problem that he would not be able to solve. That is the refrigerator light moment. That is the aha moment. When Philip realizes this problem that he has, he cannot handle on his own. Have you been there, friend? Have you been there where there is, you know, the, the memo comes across your desk or you get the email in your inbox or you get the letter in the mail and all of a sudden you have got something on you that you cannot fight on your own? That's okay. Jesus knew the problem and he already has a solution. The second thing we see is that we are not manufacturers, we are distributors. This is where we unpack that thought that I found in that book. It says in verses 7 through 13. And by the way, just for a side note, of all the miracles, this miracle here is the only one recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you can go tell somebody that and they'll be impressed, right? But John 6, 7-13, Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There was a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that for a huge crowd? And then Jesus says, Tell everyone to sit. Jesus said, So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. And for me, if, if you like to highlight or if you want to know the, the core nugget of the passage this morning, it would be, in my opinion, verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And in verse 12 says, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers. Folks, there was leftovers. Y'all like leftovers? Leftovers are great if it's good, you know. But if it's not good, it's, they're not good, right? But hey, I mean, I'll tell you what, I see people making out like bandits after we have a covered dish. There's more saran wrap and, and plastic plates flying and going out the door, but we love it. People are like, oh, I don't have to cook tonight. <coughs> we have so much food that there is so much left over. Folks, when God's provides, when God provides, there's always enough more than you can even process. 
So they picked up the pieces and filled the twelve baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. But as we look at this problem, I want us to look at three things real quick. That these are earthly responses to heavenly problems. Earthly responses to heavenly problems. We see it in Philip and the disciples. And we tend to do it today because, folks, again, there are sometimes those problems that come in front of us. We can't go around it. We can't go over it. We can't ignore it. All we can do is go through it. And the first thing that we see in verse 7 is that Philip wants them to avoid the problems. What does he do? He says, send them home. No room in the inn, right? Don't have enough. Sorry, you can't have any more. Folks, never, ever look at people as problems. You hear me? Never, ever look at people as problems. For Philip, compassion definitely was not a strong suit. And the disciples... They did this on more than one occasion where they would tell the people, just tell Jesus, hey, just tell them to, to leave. I love the disciples because they didn't get it sometimes. That gives me hope. The second thing, throw money at the problem. Most of us think that having more money to spend on the problem is the solution to every problem. But sometimes the more money you spend on it is the bigger the problem gets. I know that. I just got rid of a truck that was that way. I bought for, I paid for that truck three times as much as I fixed that thing. And I would throw money, maybe this time. The, 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 the breaking point was I had just got it out of the shop, and the next day a $1,000 problem reared itself. I thought, mm, to the junkyard with you. If I'm going to pay, it's going to be on something better. I was throwing as much money as I could at it, but the problem wasn't getting any better. Folks, I'll be honest with you. We're not a money church. We're very, we're very blessed, folks. We have people that give, that don't have a lot, but they give what God has called them to give. Does everybody give what they could? No, but I don't think in any church they do. But we're very blessed. But if we had all the money in the world, we couldn't fix the problem of sin. If you had all the money in the world, you would not be fulfilled. Throwing money at a problem with no plan makes a bigger problem with less resources. Adrian Rogers said it best. He said, we spend all of our young lives trying to accumulate as much wealth as possible. And then when we get older, we spend as much wealth as we can to have our health. And so we start with nothing and we end with nothing. And folks, throwing money at a problem is not always going to fix your problem. And then the third thing we see is that give your problem to Jesus and let him find a way to solve it. Have you ever been looking for your glasses all over the house? Asking people, have you seen my glasses? They look at you, no, I haven't seen your glasses. Until you realize they're on your face. Sometimes the answer is right in front of us and we don't even know it. The, what was the solution for the people in this miracle? It was the boy with the loaves 
and the fishes. What could that do? I shared this this illustration before, but maybe some of you haven't heard it. Just bear with me just for a second because I think maybe somebody hadn't heard it. But but we were on a mission trip uh, to Richmond with a college group, and we were feeding the homeless at Richmond First Baptist Church. And they did. This is a ministry they do all the time. We were there to help that week. And I don't know if you know this, but at least for that group of homeless people, I mean, there must have been 100, 150 homeless there. And to them, do you know what the most prized possession was? What 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 they craved the most? Money. Nope. Not money. Not food. Milk. Milk. And you know what? Yeah, just good old fashioned white pasteurized milk. Just good old milk. And you know what? We found out after it was over, one of the ladies that was that was with us that was helping serving, she was so upset because she ran out of milk and she feared that no one got any milk. She was so upset until we told her, we've just witnessed a miracle. Everybody got the milk. Everyone ate. It was multiplied. We, I'm getting Jesus bumps thinking about it. It was one of those rare occurrences to where we were a part of something greater. God still is in the miracle business. God can still do great things with a little. And all we could do is say, God, we, we ran out of milk. Can you please provide? And he did. We are manufacturers, not distributors. Here's the aha moment for me. If you hear nothing else I've said today, here's the aha moment. Jesus is the manufacturer. We are the distributors. Where was the fish and the loaves multiplied? In his hands when he broke it. It was multiplied in his hands. Sometimes the reason God doesn't fix us with our problems is because we are too stubborn to put it in his hands. The multiplication took place in Jesus' hands. The distribution was the work and the role of the disciples' hands. Folks, we are missing something. We are missing something if we understand that that these problems that, that come before us, when we look at a community around us that it has bright spots. Man, I'll tell you what, last night at the auction for the Homeland Park Crime Watch, how many did y'all have there, Walter? Like, it must have been 50. 50 or so people from the community that don't go to this church, but they were here and they were bidding on stuff, everything from earrings to encyclopedias and everything else. But they were a representation of this community. Folks, God is not done with Homeland Park community. God is not done with Homeland Park Baptist Church. And if we see Jesus multiplying miracles in our church every day, we've got to carry it out to Him. That is our job. We are followers of Jesus Christ. The third thing that we see is we must come to Jesus with the right motives. We must come to Jesus with the right motives. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet 
we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him, (laughs) force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills and hid himself. Why in the world would he have done that? Doesn't Jesus want to be the king? I mean, he is the king. Doesn't he want people to realize that? (coughs) There's a reason. Number one, the people saw a great miracle and they wanted more. They wanted more of that. And again, we see people following Jesus, not for who he is, but what he can give them. That's why they were following him. The second thing we see is that there is a purpose in every miracle Jesus conducts. Jesus knew their heart of hearts. Jesus knew them better than they knew themselves. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. In the darkest place of your heart, and in the darkest place of my heart, where you think nobody has seen, where there's nothing but those cobwebs and those secrets you never want to come out, God knows that. And He loves you. And He knows your heart. And He knows your intentions. And He knew that these people wanted to force Him to be a king, not for who He was, but what He could do for them. They wanted to elevate Him to a celebrity status. So what do we learn? In the midst of your problems, God will provide. In the midst of your problems, God will provide. Bob Cook of Youth for Christ said, if you can explain what's going on, God didn't do it. <laughs> and, and I would say the same thing. I, I would echo that. I mean, God's doing a great work in our church. And it's not because of me. It's not because of any one thing. It's because God is at work. I can't explain it. And I surely won't take the credit for it. But may he be glorified in all that is done. So whatever problems you have today, believer, God will provide in his time and in his way. What you have might not seem like much. But in his hands, there is no room for the word impossible. Many of you are sitting here thinking, all I got are a few loaves and a few fish. The modern day translation, I'm a preacher, I got too many years on this, this old body. Or I'm too young and I got too many responsibilities. Or somebody else is doing that and they don't need me to do it. Or I'm too busy to do it. All these, or, or I want God to do this in my life, but it's just, He'll never do that. Folks, impossible is not in God's vocabulary. You need to strike it from yours when it comes to God. If you walk away from this passage today only with the understanding that Jesus can fix your problems, you have lost the lesson of this miracle. Why did Jesus manufacture the food? Well, yes, to meet the need of the people, but also so the disciples could distribute it. You and I are to take what Jesus does in our lives and share it with others to believe. The problems you face today and tomorrow will be opportunities for God to prove himself to you and you to him. So follow him not for what he does, but who he is. And who is that? Your savior, your provider, 
your Lord and your King. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you have shown us through your son that, Lord, you can take what little bit that we have and manufacture it in your hands to make it something great. Lord, may we never see people as problems, but as opportunities. May we not let the problems of our lives become bigger than you. May we not try to just look within ourselves to avoid a problem or or throw money at a problem. Lord, may we have the faith to depend upon you and to watch you do amazing things. One amazing thing would be if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, that they would say, look, I, I am a sinner and I know that I fall short of God's standard and I want to please Him. I want to know that if I were to die today, I would spend eternity in heaven with my family and with my Jesus. And if there's someone that doesn't know that today, would they please just have the, the courage to come forward and we'll pray with them. And they can set that straight. Maybe there's someone that has been on the fence about joining. And they just, I don't know when the right time is. Whenever that time is, Lord, Lord, I pray that they join in the work that you're doing here. Because, Lord, we have got a field that is ripe for harvest. Maybe someone just wants to join uh, the altar down here, Lord, and pray. Or maybe someone just wants to, to pray where they're at. Whatever it may be, Lord, maybe respond to your invitation. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?